And I'll ask you, just like I asked them, I, I didn't want it to quit, did you? Don't answer that question. Because I know what that means, that you'd rather hear the singing than the preaching. But Well, last week we uh, held our annual business meeting here at Grace Community Church, and two proposals were put forth. One, a very ambitious budget in a time of economic crisis, but it's a budget that is filled with promise of ministry. It's all about kingdom. Secondly was a, a, an amendment to our church constitution eliminating the terms of elders. Also proposed in both measures, Pastor will be reading more about the amendment in this next month's church newsletter, which will either be coming out this week or the following week. We are in the middle of a three-month series about the Trinity. Uh, if this is your first time here, um, you're sort of coming in on the middle, and hopefully you won't be... Uh, lost. Hopefully, you'll just be able to pick right up, but we've got all of the past messages on our website if you're interested in going to those. Um, many people consider the Trinity the, to be the most important doctrine in Scripture. I, I agree. Everything flows from that doctrine. We're told in the Bible that God is one, one essence, one nature, and yet three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal and co-eternal. wasn't that the Father first existed and then He brought the, the Son and the Spirit into being. They've all existed for all time. While all three are equal, there is order in the Trinity. We've been talking about that the last two weeks. The Father has the place of authority and position, the great place of authority in the, in the Godhead. The Son is submissive to the Father. The Father and the Son both have a position of leadership and authority over the Spirit. Today's message is about the Holy Spirit, but before we go there, let's think for just another moment about uh, just about the Trinity, about three in one. One of the most important figures in, in church history in helping us to understand the deity of the Holy Spirit was a late 4th century priest, as in late in the 4th century. We recognize that anybody who lived in the 4th century is a late priest, as in deceased. We get that. But his name was Gregory of Nazianzus. And I know that that's just, that name is like second nature to all of you. Uh, which was a town, Nazianzus was a town in modern Turkey. He was the bishop of Constantinople, but he was from Nazianzus. It'd be kind of like being the bishop of Raleigh, but you hail from Coates, you know, something like that. So Gregory um, had a great deal to say, though, about the Trinity. You may recall about a month ago we talked about Athanasius being so important in the formation of this doctrine and our understanding of the doctrine in the early to mid-fourth century. Before that, really people talked about the Trinity, but, but some heresy started developing, and that's why they had all these debates in the fourth century. It was in response to heresies about Father, Son, and Spirit. Gregory was a huge figure in the latter half of the century. Early in the 4th century, the debate about Jesus' deity was raging, and Athanasius spoke to that then and all the way up till toward the end of the century when not only Gregory, but his two friends, Basil the Great and Gregory of Nyssa, who were known as the Three Cappadocians, took over. Now, I imagine that you could care less about the Three Cappadocians, but I want you to know, do not take this for granted. Our understanding of the Trinity, the way that we have it today, wasn't automatic like, 
oh yeah, I just look in Scripture, the Holy Spirit leads me and I understand it. You can't believe all of the debate and the discussions that were going on. And if you believe God, Father, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, we are greatly indebted to these three gentlemen who uh, defended the truth so well in the late fourth century. I'm not going to go into great detail about their contributions to our understanding of the Trinity, but I want to share with you a passage about the wonder of the Trinity from Gregory Nazianzen's book, Oration on Holy Baptism. When John Calvin read this particular quote, he said, this passage vastly delights me, and I think you'll understand why. Quote, No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. Now stop right there for just a moment. Do you have this deal where you think about the Trinity, you think about one, and all of a sudden there are three. You think about three, and all of a sudden there's one, but it's really kind of frustrating to you. Don't allow it to be a frustration. Allow the greatness and the splendor of the majesty of the Godhead grow in your heart and mind as you see that. Let's, let's start over. No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole. And the greater part of what I am thinking escapes me. I I get that. I cannot grasp the greatness of that one so as to attribute a greatness to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. Now, I can only imagine if this is your first time here, you're thinking, huh? (laughs) What, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, it's going to get a lot smoother sailing from here. But what an awesome quote. You're going to hear that again in home fellowships this week. And in fact, we'll be passing out a little strip of paper if you're interested on the way out with this quote on it. And it would really be good to just meditate on it. That was one of the few things that Gregory said that you can understand. I mean, it was, it was deep debate back in the fourth century. Well, today we're talking about one of the three persons of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Father two weeks ago, the Son this past week. I was reminded by David Calvert earlier this week that when I first announced that I was going to be talking about the Trinity, people were saying, oh, that's great. I've always wanted to know more about the Holy Spirit, and which, which is pretty telling. And so we're not going to get everything said this particular week that needs to be said about the Spirit. There's probably more sloppy theology about this doctrine than there is any other doctrine in the Orthodox Church. The church that, for the most part, has it right. People are waiting for something that they already, uh, that has already happened, and they're asking for something that they already have when it comes to the Spirit. We're, we're going to attempt this morning to bring a little light to the, to the Spirit's role in the Trinity and His work in our lives, but when you guys get back from spring break, we'll continue. We're going to take a two-week break, and then we'll be continuing talking about the Holy Spirit, at least one more week, possibly two. And by the way, I just wanted to mention uh, the last Sunday in uh, March, we got a real treat. Mike Calhoun from Word of Life is coming down. He'll be speaking 
here. You may not know that name. My son Michael is named after Mike Calhoun. That'll tell you what I think of him. He's a good friend, awesome guy, great speaker. So please mark that day on your calendar, the last Sunday of March. He'll be speaking. But we're going to, the two weeks before that, we're going to be talking more about the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning we're going to read from several places in John 14, 15, and 16. This section, you will recall, recovers the teaching that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. The most important things in his heart were coming out of his mouth on that night. And he spoke over and over about the Trinity. Uh, Much of what's in this text this morning is we're just not going to have time to cover. Some of it you're going to be looking at at home fellowships, including the truth about how the Holy Spirit worked differently before Pentecost and after Pentecost. He he is with you and He will be in you. We'll go into great detail at at home group about about that. Um, Today we're going to see how the Holy Spirit... um, what his role and function is in the Trinity, and just some of his. We're going to touch on his blessings in our lives today. So let's get started. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word together. We're going to be skipping around in John 14, 15, and 16. And we begin with Jesus speaking to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Then they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Isn't it amazing what you can learn in Scripture if you just read deliberately? Just read slowly. And you can learn just from that. Father, uh, we recognize Your truth is powerful. It's overwhelming. It's, It's beyond our comprehension. And yet, there is much that we can get. So open our hearts and minds and fill them this day with your truth. And may it make a difference in the way that we respond to you and allow you to live in us and to live through us as we glorify you, Father, and the Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. See, the Holy Spirit loves to connect us to the Father and to the Son. He takes a back seat in much of what He does. He is God, you know, thus the title. God, the Holy Spirit. Oddly enough, we could have titled this message, It's All About Jesus. Not change the Scripture, not change the focus of where we're going today. Because that's what the Holy Spirit loves to do, is to point people to the Father, but especially to the Son. Our text included most of what Jesus, well, most of what is recorded that Jesus said on that night when He spoke to His disciples. Again, the most important things on His heart. He knew He was going to be arrested and crucified in just hours. And so He's telling them the deepest parts of His heart and He's constantly talking about the Trinity. Probably this discussion went on for hours. But this is what was recorded for us, and it's a, an incredible summary. So most of what we have from that conversation that night is recorded, and we looked at it in our, our, our text this morning. Now, Jesus' comments were said in the flow of a lar- much larger context, and they would kind of, he was coming back, he'd say this, and then he'd come back and say it again, hit it again. And, and so they were getting it, but for our purposes, since our time is limited, tried to sort of pull some of these thoughts together and put them in a little, in an order that we could best understand with what we've got left. We're going to look at three truths about the Holy Spirit. At least I hope we're going to get to that third one. Beginning with the one to which I've already alluded. The Holy Spirit delights in glorifying Jesus. We call the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. He's every bit as much God as the Father is and the Son, yet He intentionally and gladly takes a less conspicuous role than the other two persons of the Trinity. He he comes to, to us, in fact, both 
by the Father's will and Jesus' will, not of his own accord. Look at the truth found in our text. Jesus says, first of all, that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name, in in Jesus' name. And then he turns around and says that he, Jesus, will send the Spirit in the Father's name and that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. That little word proceed created quite a debate back in the 6th and 7th century. Uh, it was called the Philoquy Controversy. And we're not going to go into detail this morning, but believe me, it was a huge debate whether the Spirit answers only to the Father or whether He answers to both the Father and the Son. And East and West divided. Eastern Church, Eastern Orthodox Church came out of that controversy. And the Western Church went one way, the East, and it had, it had and continues to have enormous effect on the way that we view God. That, those little words, it seems fairly clear to me, that he's, Jesus is saying, the Spirit comes from the Father and He comes from me. The East didn't agree with that. They said He only comes from the Father. And as I say, a lot more to that debate. And I've already said more than, way more than I intended to, so I'll stop. Jesus made it clear that the Holy Spirit wouldn't speak on His own authority. But He would speak or lead us into truth at the direction of the Father and the Son. Now, you may only see the Father in this verse, but a little later we'll see the Spirit pointing Christ's followers to the truth that was taught by the Son. And then in John 14, 16, 14, which you do see, Jesus says very plainly, He will glorify me. Do you remember last week how we talked about the fact that God the Father had chosen, has chosen to glorify Jesus and to make Him the centerpiece of all history? And of all creation, that the fact that everything, all the glory points to the Son. Well, the Father employs the Spirit in this process of exalting Jesus. Now, that's a little different thing than you're going to hear in some churches. A lot of churches, there is so much attention given to the Holy Spirit that the, the glory of the Son seems obscured, at least secondary. And, and we talk about the Spirit so much that we miss the importance of the Son. God's Word, written, by the way, at the direction of the Holy Spirit, tells us that that's not the way it's supposed to be. The exaltation of the Spirit is absolutely not the way God intended for it to be. And you don't have to worry about hurting the Holy Spirit's feelings. He wants to glorify Jesus. I'm sure when I said that, some of you are thinking, eh, eh, how, do you, how do you say that about the Spirit? It's what the Spirit says. To exalt the Spirit would be like uh, coming to a wedding and, and, a, and a pastor stopping right in the middle of the ceremony and saying, folks, let me just ask you, Scott and Lisa make a beautiful couple. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah I thought so. But what you don't know is that Janice Rowland is the one who introduced Scott and Lisa. Janice is the real hero of this story today. Janice, come on down here. Let's give it up for Janice. Now, I don't mean for that to be a sacrilegious analogy at all, but that's exactly what we're doing. When we stop and glorify the Spirit as opposed to the Son, the Spirit is saying, just like Janice would say, no, 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 my delight is in seeing them married. This is their day. I am so happy just to be a part of this. Well, that's the way the Spirit 
is He wants to connect us with the Son, with the Father. And He takes delight in that. It's what gives Him delight, bringing attention to Jesus. So it sounds like the Holy Spirit is inferior to the Son and the Father, correct? No! No, you've missed the whole thing if you, if you think that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are all equal. They're all God. And yet they have roles. Each has a specific role. One role is for authority. One role is for submission. Leading, following. And they delight in their roles. What a lesson for us. We'll go into that in, as, as in April sometime. We'll talk about what that means in our relationships. Well, since each person of the Trinity is fully God, there's no bickering, no jealousy. Well, I do all the work and he gets all credit. There's none of that. It's perfect union, perfect harmony, but they don't sit around debating what to do. The Father is the one who says, we're going to do, and the Son says, I agree, or I will. And the Spirit says, I will. Every person fills his role perfectly, and the role of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Another truth that we find is that the Holy Spirit is the agent of truth. Jesus told us so. The Spirit gives us truth. If we believe God the Father and God the Son, we can have 100% confidence in God the Spirit. Now, we're not going to take time to read... If it's not up there now, it will be in just a moment. These passages, 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that tell us the Spirit or God's breath guided everyone who wrote Scripture. Everybody who wrote Scripture was not, they weren't just on their own. When you hear people say, well, there's a lot of error in Scripture. Hey, it's man after all, mankind. No, it's the Spirit of God leading the, using their personalities, using the cultural illustrations that were readily available to them. But it was the Spirit of God who was guiding them into truth. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16 tells us about the Spirit's role, not only in, in people writing Scripture, but in us understanding Scripture, Him helping us to understand it. This is one of those days where there's just nowhere near time enough to unpack what I'm about to say, but... It, It should be said in this context anyway. The Holy Spirit will never lead us in ways that contradict His Word. Never. Furthermore, and this seems like another point altogether, but they'll come together. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose and desire is to elevate Jesus and Him crucified. Why is that significant? Why are those significant? Because so many people have a wrong impression about the Holy Spirit and... Also, people claim to be led by the Holy Spirit to act and speak in certain ways that are contrary to God's Word. For instance, if you were to say, well, you know, God wants me to support missions, therefore it is appropriate for me to steal from my roommate so that I can support missions. You know, we're going to take our benevolence offering at the end of this message. I hope that some of you were, you know, looking for spare change. Or, no, of course not. That's, but that's, that's an easy one. How about when someone says the Holy Spirit has led him to rebuke someone else in the body because you disagree over a non-biblical issue, say like the color of the sanctuary walls, how they're to be painted. And the Holy Spirit led you to rebuke that person. Well, 
I'm sure you can think of other illustrations that are very close to that. More dangerous, though, are the kinds of claims that the Spirit is leading me to tell you to sell your house and to give that money to the poor. Of course, you'll be poor after you do that. But look, if you're using Jesus and the rich young ruler as your biblical support for such a contention, then may I suggest that you take a class on biblical interpretation. That's not exactly. It's absolutely not what the Lord is saying. And, and, and I want to say this, and I've only got it written in one sentence, and man alive, it, it, it needs at least a whole session, maybe two or three. Be very careful. Maybe we'll talk about this next time. Be very careful about using illustrations or examples, accounts of, of historical events in the Gospels and the book of Acts and forming your doctrine from those events. Here's the way the Holy Spirit came on the people at Pentecost. We can expect Him to always come that way if people are seriously seeking God. Not necessarily. That was a a specific, spectacular event in all of church history and it marked a complete change in the way God would deal with His people from the past now from, from henceforth evermore after Pentecost. So be very careful about taking, like a verse like Jesus saying to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything that you have, follow me, and then you'll inherit, then you'll have eternal life. Look, Jesus knew their hearts perfect. He knew his heart perfectly. And we don't know other people. So there are so many reasons to be careful about using accounts of historical events in, in the Gospels and the book of Acts to justify a particular a position, action, or doctrine that you have. Now to the other point. It's, it's safe to say that a lot of people who are, who are spending a, a lot of time worshiping and glorifying the Holy Spirit are not being led by the Holy Spirit. But everything I can see from Scripture indicates that the Holy Spirit does not seek glorification of Himself at all. He always points to Jesus. Just as there is order in the Trinity, so our response to the Godhead is prescribed in Scripture. How we should follow Him is laid out for us in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that it's, that it's a wrong motive that causes one to worship the Spirit. And if you've, you know, spent a lot of time saying, Oh, blessed Holy Spirit, I worship you, that you're wrong. I doubt seriously God saying, got it wrong again. You know, in heaven, that's not, that's not the point that I'm making. But it is a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit's role to point us to Jesus. It's fine to worship Father, Son, and Spirit, but Scripture never encourages us to single out the Spirit for special worship. I wonder if that's what's in Chris Tomlin's mind when he's the song that we sang a little while ago, and we'll sing again. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. You know what the title of that song is? Praise the Father, praise the Son. Now, maybe it's just because that's, you know, has a nice ring to it. It's not too long. But maybe he's struggling with the same issue. Praise the Father, praise the Son is what we see in Scripture all the time. It's certainly fine to praise the Spirit, but to single him out is not according to biblical teaching. Don't forget 
And this is where our minds start to blow once again. Don't forget that when we worship the Father, when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping the Holy Spirit because all three members are God. And the essence of the Father is the essence of the Son and of the Spirit. And let's do it according to the way that He has shown us and commanded us. There's just so much more to say about this, but there's just not enough time. But I want us to consider for just a moment, the Holy Spirit is the perfect helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Of course, your translation may call him the counselor, the comforter, or the advocate. Greek word is parakletos. You may have heard that name. When people say we're going to talk about the paraclete, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. What is it? Counselor, comforter, advocate, helper? Yes, it's all. Probably helper is the most inclusive word, and it's it's, it's a good translation. Now, consider the context in which these words were spoken. Jesus had been with his disciples for three to three and a half years, and, and, and he had given perfect leadership. They had always had him to follow. Now he tells them that, that's, that it's a good thing that he's going to leave them. He, he says, you know, we've had all this time together, but I'm going away. And that's a good thing. If David Calvert were preaching, he'd be saying... Jesus said, I'm going to peace out. You know, I'm, any way you say, I'm out of here. You know, and they're saying, and this is a good thing? And he said, yes, because if I stay, the Holy Spirit won't come. But when I leave, the, the helper is going to come. And while Jesus was here on earth, remember we talked about last week that he willingly and intentionally limited his the use of some of his divine attributes like omnipresence, the fact that he could be everywhere at every time, it was the general direction, it was the rule, there were exceptions where Jesus clearly was aware of what was going on at other places, at other times, at times when he was here on the earth. But for the most part, where Jesus was, that's only where he was when he was on earth. And he says, now the Spirit will come, and we know from subsequent teaching in Scripture, that he fills every one of us. And so he is with every individual Christ follower, providing truth. Well, one of the ways that uh, Jesus does that is to not allow us to live the way that we want to live. That's why he says he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Man, that's a very controversial, complex passage that I've said in the first service, but I don't have time now. We're going to wrap this up. But you know what? You can get this on my blog next week. Not this coming week, but the following week, because I'm a week behind, if you want to. Or I'll send you the notes that I have. I'll be glad to do that. You know, no matter how you interpret those verses, here's... Here's the truth that we need to see, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. And he guides guides us into God's truth. And one of the ways that he does that is is by not allowing us to just live any way we want to. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, you know, you're just thinking about doing something, and the Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. And you say, shoot, I really wanted to do it. But aren't you glad? That he stops you in your tracks. He's our helper. He keeps us out of trouble. Just like 
Little children are kept out of the road by their parents. The Holy Spirit keeps us out of a lot of messes by putting a check in our spirit. And so much of the way that He does that is by causing us to see our sin. That's what those passages are about. That's what Jesus did when He was on the earth. He, he pointed out people's sin. Not that that's a pleasant thing, but it's not, not a negative because our only hope, Tom talked about the Hope Project, and he said our only hope is Jesus. And the only hope we have of coming to Jesus is seeing ourselves just as we are and just as God sees us. Well, God the Holy Spirit, every bit as much God as the Father and the Son, but willingly taking a lesser role in pointing to the Father and especially to the Son. I hope that God continues to grow bigger to grow larger, to grow more magnificent and glorious in your mind as this series continues. And I hope that you'll take that quote by Gregory Nazianzus and of Nazianzus and contemplate the wonder and the mystery of God. More about the Holy Spirit after a two-week break. Let's, Let's bow for prayer. Well, Father, um, there is so much about you that can never be known, and that's to be expected. You're God, and we're not. You're, you're the creator. We are the creatures. What you have done for us in sending your Son and giving us the Spirit to guide us in the all truth and to help us and to comfort and to counsel us and to advocate on our behalf is beyond our ability to comprehend. But we say thank you. And Father, this morning as we take this benevolence offering and we seek to help our fellow creatures, especially those of our brothers and sisters in Christ and in this body, We pray that you would make us joyful givers and that you would grow ever larger in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.